Assume nothing. Question everything and start thinking. This is the Thinking Atheist Podcast, hosted by Seth Andrews. She's the author of the book called For Small Creatures Such As We. She is the daughter of the late Carl Sagan and writer-producer Andrian, and she's got a new podcast on Only Sky Media. It's called Strange Customs with Sasha Sagan. You know, the human experience is adorned with rituals and customs. I've spoken to Sasha about the power of ritual, and her podcast really gets into this stuff with special guests and creative professionals, fascinating people like actor Adam Shapiro, best-selling novelist Kylie Reed, activist and adventurer Jedediah Jenkins, so many others, an examination of human behavior, everything from our holiday traditions to courtroom procedure to marriage. Marriage ceremonies. You can find Strange Customs with Sasha Sagan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, other podcast apps, or you can go to onlysky.media slash strange customs. Great show, great content. Sasha Sagan is a great host. Onlysky.media slash strange customs. I know that it's hard for a lot of people to understand the concept of rapture anxiety or rapture trauma. You look at this and you're like, oh, come on. Especially Christians, you know, who say that they are looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ and the beginning of heaven and bliss and happiness and music and joy and color and a reuniting with grandma and the family dog and all that stuff. You know, rapture anxiety, only an atheist or someone in rebellion against Jesus or afraid of hell would ever have anxiety about the rapture. But when I was a devout Christian, if I was being honest with myself, I had rapture anxiety. I mean, I would say the words, you know, Jesus is coming soon. He's probably going to return in my lifetime and I'm ready for heaven. You know, this was the party line. This was the stuff that you said out loud, especially when there were sort of religious authority figures listening in. You know, they were checking. They were taking the temperature of your faith just to make sure you didn't have any doubts or questions. But um, if I was being honest with myself, the last thing I wanted was the rapture. Because if you've read the book of Revelation, which is a wacky LSD trip of a meat grinder. The backdrop for the whole rapture thing was terrifying, especially to a child. And then you begin to doubt yourself. You question your salvation. Can I lose my salvation? I accepted Jesus into my heart, but I mean, I, I, I mean, what if I, what if I'm too much of a sinner? What if I haven't, what if I've disqualified myself in some way? What if Jesus just, you know, I, I have to refresh, right? I have to go back and make sure. So I drop to my knees and I say, dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart and forgive me for all of my sins. And please take me to heaven when you come back. And you do that over and over and over. At some points, I remember saying the prayer of salvation and the prayer of forgiveness under my breath, probably 15 times a day. And I am not lying. I was so terrified that I would not be worthy if all of a sudden he came back and took everybody to heaven, I would be left behind. And they showed apocalypse movies to the children, and there was a popular song about the rapture by 
an artist named Larry Norman, total hippie, you know, this was the Jesus movement, and he wrote this song. Let me just read some of the lyrics for you. The uh, song said, Life was filled with guns and war, and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Children died, the days grew cold, a piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. A man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind. There was an article in Vox that was published in October of 2022. The title was Rapture Anxiety is Real, and You Just Might Have It. The article says, Picture this. You're nine years old. You've been playing outside for a while and come back in for dinner. But hang on, where's mom? You call her name, no answer. You check every room, she's not there. You start to panic. There are a lot of possible explanations, but one reigns supreme in your mind. She's been raptured. She's been taken up to heaven by God. And you, either through some divine hiccup in the paperwork or a sin you somehow forgot to atone for, you have been left behind. Sound familiar? Well, if so, never fear. You're pretty normal. In fact, mental health experts have coined a term for such experiences. That term is rapture anxiety. It's being considered a type of religious trauma by both therapists and some religious experts, brought on by growing up in a home with an excessive focus on certain end-times theology. Darren Slade, the president and CEO of the Global Center for Religious Research, told CNN, This is a real thing. It's a chronic problem. This is a new area of study, he said. But in general, our research has revealed that religious trauma leads to an increase of anxiety, depression, paranoia, and even some OCD-like behaviors. I need to say this prayer of salvation so many times. I need to confess my sins so often. Now imagine you're taught that at any minute you could be left here on earth, he concludes. What does that do to the teenager who just had premarital sex, or even simply took the Lord's name in vain. Though rapture theology, a component of dispensational premillennialism most frequently associated with evangelicalism in the U.S., is only one of the many different interpretations of the biblical apocalypse, it has been popularized by books like Left Behind and movies like A Thief in the Night. Such fiction often depicts the rapture as a component in a sort of horror story, with more focus left on the trials of those who don't make the rapture cut than anything good that would come to those who do. That might explain why the idea of the rapture is so traumatizing for lots of people who come from such backgrounds. Now, let me do just a little bit of explaining for anyone who's watching this from the outside. And apologists will chew each other up over just how the rapture is going to play out. Will there be an actual trumpet sound in the sky, or will Jesus arrive silently like a thief in the night? But the idea is that Christ comes back, And he calls up his living believers, and then the saints all fly up out of their graves somehow, even though they're decomposed or have been incorporated into other things. (laughs) You know, somehow they're reconstituted. Grandma's urn 
on the mantle, I guess her ashes will become human and she'll fly up. And everybody meets Jesus in the sky. And then he takes everybody up where they will give an account for how they lived their lives and how they used the gifts given to them by God. And this determines how many jewels are in your crown, I guess the size of your mansion, your status in heaven, which is weird because that means there's a class system in heaven. So you're going to have what? Well, I'm a, I'm a class seven saint and you're only a class three saint. So get your ass out there and mow my lawn kind of thing. I mean, why would there be a class system in heaven? But anyway, uh, you are giving account for your deeds or the lack of deeds from your time as a believer on earth. Meanwhile, as you are up in heaven for seven years during the seven-year tribulation, that means here on earth, it's pandemonium. Things are insane. There's a one-world government. The Antichrist takes over. Uh, Jerusalem, I think, becomes the center of all things until the Antichrist betrays Jerusalem. And then there are curses that come down from heaven, and they're crazy. I mean, it's blood rain and blood hail and fire from on high and and the whore of Babylon riding a, a dragon with seven heads. And it's just a third of the population of the planet is executed during the tribulation. And then let's say you are somebody who wasn't a Christian and you miss the rapture and you look around and you say, holy shit, I got this one wrong. Is it too late to accept Jesus? Now, the good slash bad news is it's not too late, according to mainstream rapture theology, okay, end times theology. The tribulation's underway. You missed the rapture. Okay, fine. I realize I screwed up that Jesus is in fact real and I don't want to go to hell. So I drop to my knees and I say, please, Jesus, come into my heart and save me and save me and save me and save me. Okay, your soul is now saved, but you're still on earth. You're still on earth during the seven-year tribulation with the mark of the beast and the figure on the white horse with hell following with him, and the assassination, the execution of 33% of planet Earth, you're still having to go through that. You could be rounded up, you could be thrown in prison, you could be tortured, they could cut your hands or feet or head off, they can do whatever to you. So even though your soul is protected, your physical body, well, you're pretty much hosed unless you hide in a cave <laughs> for seven years and you're waiting on the second coming, All right? There's the rapture and then there's the second coming. This is where Christ comes back down and he reigns on earth for a thousand years. No idea why he would want to do this, but essentially he tries to mop up down here. All right, everything is bloody and broken and it smells really bad down here on earth. So Jesus comes down. He says, all right, fine. I'm going to run the show for a thousand years. And so he reigns here on earth. And at the end of that reign, that millennium, God finally destroys planet earth. Satan is defeated, destroyed or killed or just banished with all the sinners in hell where they roast and scream forever. And Jesus takes all the believers finally to spend a kumbaya forever in a happy, 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 joy, joy place somewhere out in the cosmos called heaven. Those are the basics of the story. And you can see the utility, right? How fear can be used to manipulate people. You brainwash them to live in fear of missing the end times, of missing out on rescue and salvation, fear even of the devil and his minions. You take these fearful people and you scare them straight. So they do not question. They do not criticize. They do not resist. They toe the line. They say the words. They do the deeds without question. And you can imagine how all of this plays when you are a young and impressionable child. 
So there was another related article about this on CNN. It was titled, For Some Christians, Rapture Anxiety Can Take a Lifetime to Heal. And there was a name I recognized, somebody I follow on Twitter, April Ajoy, and I knew we had to talk. So April joins us here. Hi, thanks for coming. Hello, thanks for having me. So I wasn't the only one. I wasn't the only kid that was whispering, please, Jesus, forgive me for all my sins and don't let me go to hell. You were doing that too? Oh, yeah. I've said the sinner's prayer probably multiple times a day, you know, just in case. So was it early? Was it five, four, five years old when you were, I'll, I'll just use the word programmed. I don't remember a time where I didn't believe that Jesus was coming back at any moment. It was just kind of part of it was almost an essential part of Christianity. My dad was an evangelist. My grandfather was a pastor. So I was also homeschooled. So I pretty much lived and breathed church. And it was very Pentecostal. It was charismatic. So we were always talking about, you know, I mean, I guess early on, it was more portrayed as like, oh, look, this is good news. You get to go to heaven if you say this prayer. And I said the prayer when I was three. Which is such a bizarre thing, because that's supposedly what they call in the church the age of accountability, right? You apparently come to a moment where you can acknowledge that you were born a sinner, and you can take responsibility for your own eternal soul. And so then, only then, do you say the prayer of salvation. Before that, you're pretty much guaranteed heaven. So it was three years old. That you were supposed to understand these concepts of God and the devil and eternity? Apparently. Apparently, I knew enough. I knew that if I didn't accept Jesus, I would go to hell. I knew hell was bad, and I didn't want to go there. So, yeah. Um, and also, we, um, my, so my dad was an evangelist, and so we were also very much told the importance of witnessing and sharing our faith with people. So we would go to restaurants and me and my two brothers would argue over who got to tell the waiter or waitress Jesus loved them. Cause we were taught if we didn't like, no matter who we came in contact with, if we did not tell them about Jesus and they were to die and go to hell, that their blood would be on our hands. So it was, uh, that's a it was lot hard of responsibility have... for a young child. It's just, it is. It's a lot for sure. Your story there about witnessing in the cafes reminds me of an Only Sky piece, which released early this month. Uber and Lyft are letting Christian drivers preach at their passengers. So if I get in and I need a ride to the airport or whatever, what, somebody's going to proselytize to me? I'm reminded of, you ever see that video of the people who were in the airplane? Mm, <laughs> There's yeah, like 25 singing. of them. Yeah, and they all start, they pull out guitars and start singing hymns and stuff. And the other passengers look like they're in prison, like in a gulag. They want to, you know, somebody open the plane windows and let me jump kind of thing. It's so weird because I know when I was super evangelical, still, I, if I had seen that video on the plane, I would have been like, praise God, like what a great witness. And now I watch it and I'm just cringing like, oh my gosh, I used to do stuff like that. We used to be part of the problem, April, and we're so very sorry. I'm so sorry. Please, everybody, accept my apology for being that <laughs> person. Did you have... Bad dreams, nightmares, stress, anxiety, even though it was supposed to be a beautiful day, the return of Jesus? Yeah. I, you know, I would say when I was a younger child, like I knew about death, but the thought of dying wasn't really a constant fear because I didn't really understand. But as I got older, probably in middle school, when I really started to, you know, hormones and understand of like, oh, this is good and this is bad, which of course, almost everything was bad. Um I definitely had anxiety about being left behind or dying and go to hell because there was this there was this weird kind of conflicting message that oh Jesus loves you so much that doesn't matter what you've done or how bad you've been like you'll be forgiven and go to heaven. But then on the flip side they're like but don't do anything bad just in case you die right after and the last thing you did was a sin because then you just you might go to hell. Like we don't know. 
but you might. So you have to erase the whiteboard, right? The sins up there. And so you got to have Jesus come down and wipe the slate clean all the time. For sure. Yeah, it was uh, there was one time I was 13 and I think this was in the article, but I legit thought I was left behind from the rapture. And it was a terrifying, like, 35 minutes of my life. Can you tell that story to our listeners? What specifically happened and what did it feel like? Sure. So I was on AOL Instant Messenger. You know, I was 13, so I was chatting with my friends. And probably 10, 15 minutes had gone by, and I just, I realized that the house was really quiet. I'm like, my whole family was there, and then it was just quiet, and I didn't hear anything. So I, I was like, Mom, Dad... You know, yelled my brother's names, didn't hear anything. So I started looking around the house, looked in the garage. The cars were still there. You know, I looked in my parents' room. My mom had just done laundry and there was like folded clothes on the bed, which is a very weird specific thing in some rapture movies that if you're left behind, you just leave a pile of clothes behind. I don't know why they're folded. But um, (laughs) (laughs) but anyway, I saw that and my mom's purse was still there. I also noticed my dog was gone, and I didn't know how to theologically reconcile that, but he was gone also. And um, so I start freaking out. So I, I go outside. I don't see them in the front yard. They're not in the backyard. At the time, we were in Florida, and we, live, our, we lived on a golf course. So there's a golf course behind our house. And so I went out there, and I start walking around, and I am, like, starting to have a little bit of a panic attack because – one, my brain starts thinking, oh my gosh, what sin have I done recently that I didn't like ask forgiveness for to get me in this position? And then two, I'm giving myself a pep talk in my head of like, it's okay, April, you can refuse the mark of the beast. It's in, you know, a guillotine death is really quick. It'll be fine. You'll, you'll go straight to heaven. Um, Cause then like all the, I read all the kids left behind books and they always were killed by guillotine with their, getting their head chopped off. So I was just very prepared for that. Now, how old were you? 13? I was 13. Thinking about dying by beheading and hopefully it'll be a merciful end and you'll get to go to heaven because you were faithful then on earth. Yep. And then I was like, well, I can figure out how to drive. I know how to drive. I, I, I know my, I have my parents' credit cards. I can go get food. Like, I'm already thinking all these things. But then there's this rational side of me that's like, calm down, April. I'm sure there's a rational explanation for what's going on. And then I did eventually, I heard my dog barking in the distance. It sounded like my dog. So I had a glimmer of hope. And I found my family like three holes down, just, just completely ignorant and like, just blissfully on a walk, didn't think they needed to tell me. I'm like, you know what? If you're going to tell people that you, that the rapture is going to happen at any moment, you need to tell your kids where you leave them in the house. <laughs> I'm reminded of a practical joke that I have actually heard played on young Christian kids where people will take clothes and drape them out over chairs and couches and out in yards by cars and you know, the poor kid walks out and he thinks, oh, my God, you know, that the bodies have reunited with Jesus and only their clothes remain. And I've been left behind looking at it now, targeted to young children the way it was. It seems sadistic and cruel, but yeah. back then it sounded kind of funny. Did you have any feelings about all the end of the world predictions? You know, we talk a lot about the, the Herald camping types. Did you deal with specific dates, end times dates? I never dealt with specific dates. I knew people that said there were going to be specific dates. I know there were a lot of people that thought Y2K was going to bring on the rapture and then 2012 again because it was the Mayan calendar. But yeah, so I've heard tons of different predictions and there were people that genuinely thought that President Obama was the Antichrist. I've also heard that a lot of people believe the Pope will be the Antichrist. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. lot of anti-Catholicism in like Protestant evangelical circles, just weird, Uh, which I always thought was weird, even, even in it. Um, Yeah, but there's always been this just anticipation that at any moment, you know, and you look at world events and we're like, oh, there was an earthquake. That's a sign. That's a sign because scriptures say wars and rumor of war. So anytime there was a war, even though there's always been wars, like, oh, that's a sign. It's just like everything, every little thing is a sign that the rapture is close. In fact, when that CNN article drops, I obviously don't believe in the rapture anymore, but I thought it was hilarious because I found on Facebook, 
and a bunch of different Christian news outlets like Charisma Magazine and um, like Christian Post, I think. There was several of them that wrote rebuttal articles to the CNN article. And so many of them were saying that the fact that CNN was talking about the rapture in a negative way was a sign that the <laughs> rapture is coming very soon. Yeah, they've risen up the enemies of Christianity and Christ in the quote-unquote mainstream media. Mm -hmm. And it's all part of the end times scenario. What was your path out? I had a long time, a series of years in my own life, trying to get over fears of hell and what if, etc. What was your journey like and how'd you get there? Yeah, um, it's so weird even now to this day for the split, like a point zero zero one of a second, if suddenly the house is quiet and I don't know where my family is, I have this in like, it's a very quick fleeting, like, oh, shoot, was I left behind? And then it goes away. So it's still it was so ingrained that it's still there a little bit. But I, you know, I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in the rapture anymore. And I guess it was a slow process. But hell was honestly, one of the easiest things to let go for me because it didn't make sense especially in a faith that claims that God is love. I just was just logically one day was like, you know what? I, it was Rob Bell. I read Rob Bell's Love Wins book and was like, you know, this actually, this works. Because if God is love, hell cannot exist. Like, end of story. Well, if I can do my due diligence for those who aren't familiar with Rob Bell, he was a major mega pastor. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's been 15, 20 years or so. He came forward and said, I don't think a loving God would ever create hell. This makes no sense, right? He'd come to the same conclusion that you had. And he was roasted. He was mm -hmm. ostracized and vilified by the uh, mainstream and certainly the fundamentalist Christian church. But a lot of people responded to that. And it was a brave stand he took. And I, even today, really appreciate it. Yeah, I remember that book was forbidden <laughs> in the circles that I ran in. It was like having contraband. And actually, my my spouse had the book and it was in our house during the pandemic. And I saw it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to read it. I'm going to now's the time I'm going to read it. So I felt like I was sinning by reading his book, um, which and the interesting thing is he never actually takes a position in the book. He really is just saying like, hey, does this make sense? If we really, can we believe in a loving God and an eternal conscious torment of hellfire? And so I, I just like, man, it just, it just clicked. And it was honestly one of the easier things to let go of. Uh, book banning. What was that line I saw that if people are going to ban books filled with contrary ideas, they're not afraid of books, they're afraid of ideas. And I always mm. thought that was interesting. You know, if genuinely you're in the right, why in the world would you ever be concerned about a contrary point of view? That stuff will splash right off of you, right? Because you're on the solid rock. You doing okay today, April? How you feel? Oh, yeah, I'm feeling okay. I've got uh, recovering from strep. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not. Your physical condition certainly is a concern, and I'm sorry about the strep. But I'm speaking more in the ethereal abstract, spiritually or whatever. I mean, you managed to escape, and you yeah. are you're doing all right with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I still consider myself a Christian in that I believe in the teachings of Jesus, and I love Jesus still. But I, I've learned to let go of the need to know. And I would never, like, I don't tell anyone what to believe. I don't really tell people what I believe specifically because I don't know. There's been a lot of freedom in just letting go of the black and white ideology. And it's been, life's just been a lot happier, honestly, since getting rid of the dogma. And it's funny you know, Christians claim to be this, you know, have this moral superiority on love, and they think they're the most loving ones. And even if they're being mean or saying hurtful things, it's all in love, you know, truth hurts, you know, truth and love and that type of stuff. Um, and I used to perpetuate that exact same type of rhetoric. But now, being on this side of it, I actually feel like I genuinely know what it's like to love people and to have genuine relationships and to be authentic. And it's, 
ah, I was so wrong. (laughs) That's, that's probably the hardest part is just looking back, like seeing all the hate out there being perpetuated by churches and pastors and Christians. And I get so angry because I know the harm it's causing, but I get upset knowing that I was part of that problem, which is kind of why I do what I do now. That's probably a whole other show, but it does fascinate me. You know, you gravitate to the best teachings of Christ, charity and goodness and, you know, feeding the poor and the hungry and taking care of people, that kind of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that Jesus is going to come back? I don't think so. I mean, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I'm just, you and I are just chatting here. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I, I I honestly don't think so. I I don't know. I really don't know. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, I think not knowing is, I mean, I get that we don't want to necessarily paint ourselves into a corner or we don't want to be dogmatic, but I think the quest to know for sure, whatever we can, whenever we can, is a worthy quest. I think that's a worthy goal, and, and that would be my encouragement to everybody, including myself. You know, sometimes we can look and say, well, is this true? Is it not? Does it fit the evidence or not? And should we embrace it or not? And, you know, I think there's some satisfaction in that. I mean, that would be fair, wouldn't it, April? Yeah, for sure. But I think where I've kind of landed and have found peace with, although it, there is a, a natural desire to want to know things for sure, but for to be like a belief is an intangible thing you know it's in your head and it can help shape what you do and how you respond to people but for me what matters more than belief is how I treat people and what I do to better the world and to better my community and which obviously beliefs can hinder that depending on what they are but April you're a humanist I mean you and I are allies in that right Mm -hmm. love people support their right to be who they are on their terms. Stop running around judging and condemning and hating your fellow human beings. Let's all share the world. You and I line up on that. And this is, I think, part of the larger conversation I've been trying to have lately about lining up on values, not tripping up on theology all the time, although it's important. But how do we line up in terms of how we feel about humanity and the human condition? You and I are on the same team, and I think it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, totally. And to me, like, that's what what matters. Like, I honestly don't care what anyone's beliefs are as long as they're not harming people. Fair enough. April, I'm going to link that CNN article in the description box, and that way if people want to go and, like, get more in-depth into your story. But it's uh, nice to hear the voice of someone who sort of walked the path that so many of us have walked, you know, worried about looking up at the clouds and saying, I wonder if Jesus is back there and he's got his stopwatch and, you know, Satan's over here behind the bushes waiting to take over, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So you and I, we both can relate. I feel you, April. I feel you. (laughs) And thanks so much for talking to me today. I appreciate it very much. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Plenty of listeners with their own stories about the end of all things and the anxiety it produced we'll talk to them next this episode is brought to you by kia's first three-row all-electric suv the kia ev9 with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next visit kia.com ev9 to learn more Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So thankful for your support on Patreon. You get the show early and commercial-free, and honestly, it just makes a big difference. It allows me to do what I do. And if you'd like to become a patron, it's patreon.com slash Seth Andrews. Continuing our discussion about the rapture and how it just plain freaked a lot of people out. Area code 785. Who's this? Amos. Amos, thanks for calling, my friend. You got a story? Yeah, well, I've got about, uh, I've got a very quick story and then a question for you. Whenever I was 14 years old, I was shown that movie, The Thief in the Night. And being a person who loves horror stuff, I actually rather enjoyed it, except for the part that, to me at that age, I believed it to be true. So the next morning, my foster mother takes the little ones to go grocery shopping, doesn't even tell me about it. So I wake up, everybody's gone, and I'm scared shitless, thinking that I had just been left behind. I tried calling a neighbor. The neighbor didn't answer. I called it. Uh, another neighbor, that neighbor didn't answer. I was scared. When they finally came back, I was in tears and like shaking. And I mean, it was a nightmare. And I haven't seen that movie since, by the way, because it still, it, I don't know if I'm traumatized by it or not, but it gave me rapture anxiety. And even now as an atheist, I kind of still sometimes feel it. And this is where my question comes into play. I have a friend who answered it already, but I want to see if your answer is as near the same. But I study all that stuff. I studied rapture. I studied all this stuff. And I, every so often, I see something that can fulfill a prophecy that fulfills one of those. And that's where the rapture actually starts to come into play again. Like where uh, all these different leaders and stuff that might have attributes of the Antichrist and stuff like that. How do you approach something like that? How do I approach the claims of fulfilled prophecy because there's some sort of serendipitous convergence People and places yeah. seem to be coming to pass. I know it's not true. I know that for a fact. But still, the hardwiring is in me. You know what I mean? I think it's natural for people who have been indoctrinated to, you know, have echoes of that. But, you know, fulfilled prophecy is one of those things where, first of all, and I just narrated the Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament, Volume 2, which goes through failed prophecies throughout the Old Testament. And so everybody who's talking about fulfilled prophecy, either they're projecting common attributes onto some pet icon, you know, oh, it's the Pope, he's the Antichrist, or, you know, these alliances or the UN is going to produce the Antichrist because the UN bringing nations together is going to form a one world government. And, you know, we were trained to fear a world coming together right. as part of the human condition. Yep. No, no, God is American. <laughs> you know, God yeah, loves America. Yeah. But I mean, if, if you my, look at the predictions, friend. they're always conveniently vague. And yes. I think with as many human beings as there are on this planet, where are we at? Eight billion times how many generations through history, you are going to find some people who have attributes that have been referenced somewhere in history or myth or both. It doesn't mean that those predictions have come true. And we also have to remember that the book that they're rooting their predictions in also says that donkeys spoke Hebrew, people lived underwater inside yep. fish, and that humans lived up to a thousand years. So we consider the source. I, I think we can you, move on. I have to tell you, you're very close to what my friend said. He said that uh, making prophecies like throwing a bunch of stones that hit one bird you're increasing your chances of hitting that bird by throwing multiple stones, but many of those stones are still going to miss. That's pretty but, good. It, you know, we count the hits yeah. and ignore the misses. And I think yeah, that there's confirmation much. bias at play. There's the desire to believe pattern seeking, you know, our brains connecting dots, sometimes dots that aren't supposed to be connected. 
random events that sometimes line up to appear purposeful or planned or destined in some way. Our penchant for meaning-making, which is a human thing. Like We look around scanning all the time for meaning, but none of that makes the roots of prophecy valid. And, you know, prophecy is always retroactive. My favorite is when people say, well, this in the New Testament validates what they predicted in the Old Testament. And I'm like, yeah, okay, if I was to write a book in the year 2023, and I had in my possession a reference book from 1923, a hundred years before, how hard would it be for me to align the streams? Right. All right. Thank you. All right. See you later. Bye. There is a great website called AfterTheRapturePetCare.com. <laughs> I am not kidding. The homepage says, Dear fellow Christian, as the Apostle Paul describes in Thessalonians, at some point in the future, Jesus will come in the air. That sounds naughty, by the way. Jesus will come in the air catch up the church from the earth, and then return to heaven with the church. This is known as the rapture, and it will be glorious. But what of our pets? Who will take care of our pets when we are gone? I'd like to help answer that question. First, let me tell you a story. The idea came from seeing someone else's joke. An atheist created a site in England that said she'd take care of Christian-owned pets after the rapture and asked for 70 pounds as a donation. She promoted it as a joke, and it virally made the rounds among non-believers who enjoy making fun of Christians. My husband saw it and told me about it. Admittedly, it seemed funny. I told my friend Carol, who's not a Christian, and she brought up a question. Hey, if you get raptured, what happens to Petey? It was an excellent question, and I didn't have an answer. A couple weeks later, Carol came back and suggested we start after the rapture pet care together. She said... She had asked several Christian friends the same question she'd asked me, and every one of them would pay for a service to ensure the care of their pets after the rapture. I had also asked some fellow Christians their thoughts in every case. They wished there was a way to prepare for their pets' survival. Now let's just pause for a second. They are admitting that God would allow this scenario. He would swoop the people to heaven and he would leave the dogs and cats and iguanas and parrots and snakes and whatever to starve to death in their homes. Anyway, to make the long story short, after the rapture pet care, is apparently a database of atheists who have agreed to take care of the animals once the believers get raptured. Or, you know, supposedly, I'm sure the atheists are like, wink, wink, yeah, we'll we'll handle it. <laughs> Pay us a stipend, you know, put something in escrow, and if you go up to heaven, yeah, we'll take care of little Petey. But this, I, I, was, I was like, this is a Poe, it's a satire site, this has to be a joke. It looks real. It looks real. The website says, We have created a database structure on multiple secure servers with multiple locations online and password-protected backups. This is a database of atheists who are going to come and save the animals when Jesus leaves them all to die horribly. What the hell is wrong with people? What was the title of my most recent book? Christianity made me talk like an idiot. And sometimes think like an idiot. 901, are you with me? What's your name? Hi, it's Colin. Colin, thanks for being on the show. We're talking end of the world stuff. What do you think? 
Well, you're going to have to bear with me. I'm um, in a bit of a sad time. I just dropped one of my favorite coffee mugs. It has kitty cats on it. So oh, I'm sorry to hear I'm that. Sorry for that. your loss. I really am. Uh, uh, thoughts you, and sir. prayers. Thoughts uh, and prayers. What else you got, brother? <laughs> um, when I was in second grade, I remember I was just sitting in class and I was looking around and I realized that everybody in there, I, I liked them. They were my friends. And then I remembered that my grandmother had told me that the world had already been destroyed by a flood and the rainbow meant that we were never going to get it washed away again. So the next logical conclusion was it was all going to be destroyed by fire. And I remember just looking at everybody and I just broke down crying because I didn't want to see my friends get burnt to shit. I mean, even if we were going to end up in heaven, they'd still, you know, burn up because I, they didn't really talk a whole bunch of like rapture, like left behind kind of stuff. And it's just, I'd love to hear your take on how is it even legal for people to put that kind of thing in a kid's head and make them cry over literally nothing. It's so sticky. Parents should not have other people interfering in so many ways on how they raise their children. I get that. But at the same time, do we then consider it child endangerment? Because then somebody, some third party must step in. Well, how do we define endangerment? The people who are indoctrinating their children genuinely believe that they are agents of the truth, training up a child in the way that they should go. So now you've got the religious freedom or religious liberty argument in play. How would you or I feel if we were raising free thinkers and somebody came in and just decided, well, no, you aren't allowed to do that. You must teach them this way. It's so freaking messy. But I feel your frustration because I think it robs children of the right to grow up without hell anxiety and without magical thinking that might affect them negatively in other areas of their life. You know, some of these people, they're inhibited forever. And the parents are responsible for that. And you and I, as agents of goodness and reason and compassion and humanism, want to be an advocate for these kids. How do we do that without violating the rights of the parents? And I don't know the answer, but I feel your frustration. That was a great answer. Well, you know, doing a show, I will never click on anything faster in my life. (laughs) Well, I don't have an answer. I think my answer was that I don't have an answer, but I think... You and I look at the insanity in the world and say, how do we keep this from being downloaded into future generations? I saw some Christmas cards on the month of December from some hardcore right-wing MAGA evangelical gun nuts. And I don't say that all gun owners are gun nuts. I'm not making that broad generalization. But I mean, it was a Christmas card. And the father and the mother... And all of their, I think there was five children, are all holding in the Christmas card, wearing Christmas garb and hats, Santa hats, etc. In front of a tree, they're all holding semi-automatic weapons, right? So essentially, the children are being born into a gun cult. And I think, don't these children deserve better? How do we advocate for them without trampling on the rights of parents to raise their children? I feel the frustration. I simply don't know the answer. I appreciate your honesty. Okay, Cole. Hope the new year is good to you. Be safe out there. Same to you, sir. All right, see you. You may be a lot smarter on this question than I am. I do fall on the side of it being psychological abuse. You know, psychological abuse is abuse. If you indoctrinate an impressionable, trusting child to believe that people who don't do this are going to burn forever and scream and writhe and and it will never, ever, ever end. And right now on Earth, there's a devil in the dark and there are monsters coming and the apocalypse is coming and squillions of people are going to die and there's going to be blood moons and hail and, you know, all that stuff. You can really scar someone, often for the rest of their life. I call that abuse. That's just how I fall. But in a free society, where do you draw that line as to intervention? Who draws the line? How do you enforce it? What blowback might it have on everybody else who's trying to raise their children in a free society? And I just don't have an answer except to live our own lives, critical, skeptical lives, condemning this damaging doctrine vocally 
so that hopefully these children will one day see and hear us and realize there are other points of view and perhaps feel empowered to ask questions and even rebel against the dogma. That's all I've got, but maybe you've got a better answer than I do. Maria. Hi, Maria. Thanks for calling. Hi. Thanks for taking my call, Seth. You bet. I'm so happy to talk to you. You've been my light since I'm deconstructed. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't believe I get to talk to you. <laughs> it's so funny. For Christmas, Natalie bought me a um, one of those headlamps that you use to go, like, you know, do work in, I guess, under the baseboards or in the dark recesses yeah. of the attic. I saw that picture. And I, I posted saw that. The, I'm like, I'm here to shine a light in the darkness. You know, I'm going to be a superhero <laughs> with this thing. Hey, Maria, what's on your mind? What do you want to talk about? So I'm 65 now, but in high school, and I was raised a Roman Catholic, and I mean very traditional Roman Catholic, you know, Pope and confession and the whole nine yards. And uh, in high school, we had this French teacher that took over for a retiring French teacher, and uh, she was a Jesus freak, and she kind of enlisted us, I guess. And when you're in high school and impressionable and not a very popular kid, this is where religion gets you, right? They offer you community. They offer you Jesus' love. And this is a public school. I had never heard of rapture because Catholics don't do that. We didn't do rapture. I had no idea what that was. So this particular French teacher who was like not much older than us, like 28, and she started having prayer meetings in her home. And it was me and four of my closest friends, and we all ended up going to her house. So she starts doing this rapture stuff and starts, you know, and then all of a sudden all the Catholic stuff in me is grabbing onto all this Jesus cult stuff. And it's just going to Catholic stuff. It's like, huh, this is not what I was taught. And so I started preaching to my mother, which was a really bad thing to do. So I, <laughs> and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and this teacher, as far as I'm concerned, she kind of ruined my whole high school years because we were those religious kids, the nuts, and you don't get to do much of anything. And they had all these clubs. And then on top of everything else, and this is a public school, she started Youth for Christ. Have you heard of that one? Oh, yeah. So she started a Youth for Christ chapter, and we were all in it. And in the school cafeteria, we had a great big billboard. You can decorate it. All of the school clubs would decorate it at some point. You know, you had your rocketry club. You had your future librarian club. And guess what we put on that billboard? Rapture is coming. Are you ready? With a cross and like a little stick figure that looked very small and alone and a big sun like Jesus was coming. And I can't believe the public school actually allowed that to happen. When I think back on it, I'm horrified by it. And... I don't know. She kind of put me at odds with my own family, but I just feel like she ruined my entire high school experience because we were just sucked into it so deep. And I feel like everybody in the school was basically laughing at us and just pretty much avoiding us. Anyway, no, that I was mean, it for my rapture. <laughs> There's uh, an organization called Gospel Billboards. And they put up these big billboards in cities all across the United States that say things like, where are you going, heaven or hell? And the hell yeah. side of the billboard is yeah. actual flames. And then there's an 800 oh, yeah. number. It's 834-TRUTH. And as you're driving to yeah. or from work or school or the movies or a friend's house, you look up and, oh, great, a hell threat wrapped around the end of the world yeah. theology. And there it is. And there yeah. it is. What is that Maya Angelou quote? I'm paraphrasing, but it says, when you know better, you do better. And so you, you and I better. are knowing better, and we're trying to do better, and I think that's huge. I hope the you new year's amazing, it. Maria. Love to Natalie and Linus and all your kin. Okay. <laughs> Thank Take you care. so much, Seth. All right. See you later. You too. Bye-bye. There's a great meme that I have shared on the Thinking Atheist social media pages. Uh, it has two monkeys talking to each other and one says you're going to hell and the other one says what's in hell people like you what's in heaven people like me 
and the second monkey says, you need to work on your threats. I always thought that was funny. Uh, let's talk to Jeff at 253. Are you there, sir? Yep. I really wasn't raised with rapture threat. Um, when I was young, my parents attended the Episcopal Church. And so that was, you know, it's kind of like diet Catholic and a little bit more liberal, but also very kind of stiff and stand, sit, kneel and all that kind of stuff. But there was no end times kind of preaching hellfire and brimstone stuff. But I did have a paper route. And Sunday mornings when I was getting the paper ready for delivery, the only thing to watch on the, you know, the three channels of TV that we had at the time was last week's worship service from the Anchorage Baptist Temple with Jerry Prevo, who you know now has taken over for Jerry Falwell Jr. at Liberty University. And he did all kinds of talk about the rapture and the great tribulation period that was going to be coming after the rapture. So I talked to my parents about it, my dad in particular, and dad always said, well, you know, that, that's what they believe, and here's why it isn't right. But my big fear is the fundamental Christians who are currently believing in end times and rapture times, and this attitude that is being thrown around about how if the earth is going to end anyway, why do we do anything to save it? And so the obstruction that we've seen with environmental protection laws and regulations and stuff like that, I, you know, I think they're going to believe us into our own oblivion. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was uh, Christian dominion theology. Everything's a resource, and there's no way we can screw up the planet. And even if we do, it's all short term because Jesus is going to mop up. So it doesn't really make any difference. So just one more thing before I let you go. I'm... Um, uh, we've talked before, I'm a therapist, and I do gender-affirming care, and one thing that I find is that there is a lot of crossover between, at least for me, anecdotally, I see a big Venn diagram overlap between people in the transgender community and religious trauma syndrome from their upbringing. So, you know, I just wanted to put in another plug for the Secular Therapy Project, where I'm listed, and other people can uh, go and find therapists who are going to be affirming and help them deal with the uh, religious trauma. Seculartherapy.org, I think. I'll verify that. I believe it is, yeah. All right. Well, be safe and be good for goodness sake, my friends. It's great talking to you, Jeff. Yeah, take care. Bye-bye. Steve, at 602. Are you with me? I am with you. How are you? I'm well. What's on your mind? So um, I grew up uh, Roman Catholic as well and uh, did have some Protestant overlap, but I feel like those of us of a certain age were also growing up because of the Cold War, worried more about Armageddon. So I was less worried about the rapture than being within the blast radius. Mm. I grew up near New York City, so, you know, that was like... (laughs) If New York goes, I'm going anyway, so oh well. But after they aired the day after, in 1983, I was making my parents store canned goods in the basement like we were going to survive. And that seemed to be like an ongoing theme. And what I noticed about even the kids around me, that that was more what we were worried about than the rapture. And then when I deconverted and and was coming out of religion, no, you read a lot. And I always thought, and I'm hoping you can correct me or inform me, I always thought that even the people who get raptured were a subset of the population. So when I hear about the pet care thing, and I I actually shared the link when you shared it, and my friends and I joked about it, religious and and non-religious alike, but it seems to me that that's like super arrogant to think that you're going to be the one that's raptured when there's only supposed to be X number of people out of 8 billion at this point that are going to get to do that, that you even need to worry about it. Like, at least when I was 13, I was like, well, if we survive, we're going to need food rather than, you know, and of course we had dog food for the dog. Yeah, everybody was going to make it somehow. But, you know, as far as the rapture was concerned, you know, it was either you were in or you were out, and that was pretty much it. I just wondered what your thoughts were on that since we're about the same age. I mean, I was born in 68. 
but the Cold War was still going on. Yeah. All right. The superpowers yeah. were still sort of jockeying for position. We saw thousands upon thousands of planet devastating mass murder bombs pointed at each other from across the ocean. And we thought, this is a sign. One day Armageddon will be unleashed. And we saw it as literal fire, probably at the end of an ICBM or something like that. But as far as the finite number of people who were raptured, I think that's an example of how people can't even agree on the basics of their own theology. There are people who believe, right, the 144,000, which I think was also a Jehovah's Witnesses deal, the 144,000 are chosen for something. There were other people who believed that the tribulation didn't happen until after the millennium. And then there are other people who say that the tribulation happens before the rapture. This is known as pre-trib, post-trib, and a-trib theology. And the apologists are insane on this stuff. So I think what you brought up is an example of humans projecting their own biases and conjuring their own stories when it comes to the end of the world. It's, I think, another great example of why it's all a bunch of crap. Absolutely. Absolutely. Steve, we survived the Cold War. Like, so far, you and I have managed to not get nuked, and I think that's a sign. That's a good, that's a a beacon of hope that we can grasp onto. I agree, but what sucked about it is I didn't think I would make it past 30 for a long time, and now here I am in my 50s, so, you know, I've had to readjust for that, too, even (laughs) if it wasn't the rapture, but yeah. Should have opened that savings account. All right, brother, we'll see you later. All right. Anybody remember the movie Beneath the Planet of the Apes? Talk about a jacked up movie. Uh, when did Beneath come out? Can somebody go go look it up for me in the chat? Beneath the Planet of the Apes, I think has humans and the apes coexisting in some way. I'm doing this from memory. But there's a giant statue. And this is, I think, the lawgiver of the apes. And the, the statue rains blood on a forest and there are apes that are crucified and then there's like a, a bomb cult. there's an atomic bomb cult <laughs> and and they say chants mantras to the almighty bomb it's jacked up it is jacked up but it's no more jacked up than american maga evangelicalism in the 21st century i'm just saying uh, let's talk to um, Benji at 970. Are you there? Hey, Seth. What's going I'm on, here. bro? Oh, um, just thought I'd share. I can I can definitely relate to a lot of the callers who were talking about uh, freakouts in the home when they'd wake up and the whole family was not there for some reason. But I also wanted to share one. This kind of plays into the last caller talking about how it can kind of, those kind of beliefs can kind of build on like psychiatric issues, psychiatric disorders and, and the like. Because when I was a kid, I was going to an unaccredited private Christian school where they uh, replaced a lot of like the typical curriculum with biblical type of studies. And so for our sociology, it was a divine revelation of hell. And they would read that to us in class. And uh, I think I was about 13 when I started having this recurring dream where I was one of the two witnesses in Revelations and I was being... uh, um, basically questioned and interrogated and then end up, it would end with me being like about to be nailed to a cross and crucified upside down. So pretty brutal nightmares as a child. And uh, of course, when I would tell people about this, they wouldn't try to discourage that in any way. They would actually like encourage me to try to explore that more. And so, yeah, it definitely had some effect on me. So they didn't say, ah, it's just a dream. They said, this is a part of your consciousness that may be telling you something and you need to dig deeper. Yeah. At the unaccredited Christian school I was at, they ended up basically like, I'd be walking down the hallway and the teacher or, or principal would be like, hey, there, young prophet. So yeah, it was, they played into it. And of course, I think this definitely had a huge, like, I think Y2K definitely, if your formative years were on the way to Y2K, it was like, even more impending. In my mind, I'm thinking, man, I hope you don't have the dream that you were crucified again. You know, you need to be dreaming about being able to fly and, and <laughs> you know, some of some great dreams. Oh, yeah. You know, I, my hope is, is that you don't have to go through that. You know, you don't dream about that or the almighty bomb. Uh, at that point, I just wish you better <laughs> dreams, brother. 
Thanks for being a part of the broadcast. I hope you're doing well these days, Benji, and Happy New Year. You too. All right, see you later. Uh, 1970 was the year. Thank you in the chat. Beneath the Planet of the Apes as I go back to that side, because I just couldn't let it go. I pulled up a wiki quotes page from that movie where they worship the almighty bomb, and they have the nuclear bomb sitting there like a big idol. Uh, Mendez, the character, has these quotes. The heavens declared the glory of the bomb, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Glory be to the bomb and to the holy fallout, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. O mighty and everlasting bomb, who came down among us to make heaven under earth. This is crazy. It's no less crazy than American MAGA evangelicalism. I'm just saying. You want to talk about an end-of-the-world cult? Turn on the freaking news. (laughs) Just turn on the news. It's everywhere. It is everywhere. I got to go, my friends. Much love to you. Let us go out and live as if tomorrow does matter, that the world won't end any minute now, and so we have to make the world the very best place that it can be. Be safe, be good. We'll see you later. Follow The Thinking Atheist on Facebook and Twitter. For a complete archive of podcasts and videos, products like mugs and t-shirts featuring the Thinking Atheist logo, links to atheist pages and resources, and details on upcoming free thought events and conventions, log on to our website, thethinkingatheist.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tom. 